Good morning, all, and welcome back to the Mine Wall podcast. Great to have you again. Uh, we haven't uh, recorded a new episode yet uh, in, in February, so excited to do that now. This morning, we're going to talk about an interesting tangent to digital transformation and all things new as we do, but we're going to go a little bit off the topic in the sense that normally we talk about those things in the mining and natural resources industry. I want to take you back a few years ago. We uh, had a, an interesting partnership with SAP and one of their vice presidents for the natural resources industry, uh, Georg Gradl, he had a history in the automotive industry. And he always used to ask an interesting question. He said, why can we not run a mine like a factory? There, there should be such a lot of similarities there. And I think both industries can learn a lot from each other. So this morning, we have a guest that can tell us a little bit more about how factories work and, uh, and also has a lot of history in the mining industry. Our guest this morning is James Balzari. James is the CEO and co-founder at Tillet, headquartered in Brisbane in Australia, if I'm not mistaken. So James, over to you. Why don't you quickly introduce yourself to our listeners and welcome to the Mindwall podcast. Thanks, MP. It's great to be here. So uh, yeah, I'm really uh, looking forward to a, a discussion of uh, two industries that I'm passionate about. Um, as MP said, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tillit, and, and Tillit's a company that's focused on a, a digital transformation, digital uh, manufacturing, innovation, and enabling SMEs and large companies to do better with the sort of infrastructure that they have. Um, but originally, uh, my background is I was a geologist for, for many years, and I still call myself a geologist, but I haven't worked as a geologist for a long time. I've spent the last 20 years uh, working in developing, selling and marketing software technology to, to multiple industries. So uh, I'm still passionate about mining, but I'm equally as passionate about the manufacturing industry. It's interesting that I find there are many geologists who seem to find themselves in this crossover between mining and, uh, and technology. And it seems to me like geologists are kind of by nature well prepared to, to think about big data, isn't it? I think so. I think that you know the the theoretical construct of, of variability and and uh, uncertainty creates a certain way of thinking, and and yeah. and that's usually supportive and backed up by by data and the and the thirst for more information because you're constantly filling in blanks with uh, let's face it sometimes opinions on on a, yeah. on what geology really is. There's going to be a few mining engineers who who'll be nodding vigorously here about the opinion part. <laughs> yeah, we can get, get into art versus science versus, there versus we go. Um, everything else. Yeah, we uh, often talk about the, the science of mining as the, you know, the hard science, uh, sciences, the mining technical systems, the business of mining being the supporting side. But I, I like the reference to the art part, you know, because geology is a lot of that, isn't it? There's mathematical interpolation and ext extrapolation and this and that, but in the end, it's just a, a science to express a gut feel, uh, some people would allege. <laughs> some people would allege, but it is interesting that geologists do end up in all walks of life. And I, and I think so do the people of an engineering background or, or yeah. really any background. The, the modern world is one of 
uh, multiple careers in our lives. I think our generation, or certainly mine, is you know one to two, two to three perhaps, and the current generation, as we all know, may be looking at three to five distinct career changes. Yeah. So the labels we put on ourselves um, uh, become a bit sort of amorphous when you look at your your whole career and what you could achieve. That's true. So, so talking about moving between different industries and different jobs and so on, um, you've had the opportunity now of seeing a lot of uh, innovation and attempts at innovation and so on in in both of these, you know, manufacturing and mining industries. How would you say the natural resources industry are maybe ahead and or behind or or just different from what you observe in manufacturing? Look, I, I left the mining industry and then got into technology and software sales um, uh, with a perception that the mining industry was uh, not as advanced as perhaps other industries. And the 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 poster child for, for innovation or digitalization is often manufacturing. Um, so walking out of out of mining and then getting into software and technology, you you get exposed to the the best, brightest, and greatest, and the leading edge of what's possible. Sure. But there's always a gap between what a technology innovation company is doing and what the market is 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 either adopting or buying or or implementing. And yeah. a technology company's goal is to bridge that gap and and keep their customers as up to date as they want to be. And a, yeah. Uh, and any company's goal is to drive either their own innovation or their suppliers' uh, roadmaps towards value-add innovation. So it, uh, I I was pleasantly and and surprised and often shocked when I left the mining industry, where some amazing innovation and hugely advanced capabilities were used day in day out, mm-hmm. and then visited factories that that you would think such as a soft drink let's let's use a red label with a white mm-hmm. text as without <laughs> naming the name and and walk in and and see the paper or i see still a lot of people running around and stuff's built all over the floor and um a real uh, difference in the perception of what i thought i would witness in in manufacturing what i yeah. what i actually did see maybe i think there's a there's a difference then um between automation and digitization and and there's a lot of automation happening in manufacturing already um but that does not necessarily mean it's digital does it no that's right you, you know you the perception of um you know the ford motor factory or the volkswagen factory um and robots welding pieces of steel together um isn't really ref- reflective of of most manufacturers and you know automation has been the theme of industry three to four transition for the the last 50 years um and and believe it or not that's still got a long way to play out but we've morphed into industry four and now we're even talking about industry five and and the move back to human-centric type operations so (laughs) you know at, at a high level sure manufacturing in certain industries does um does lead the charge as far as the, uh, any capability of lights out, which I think is a, a goal of 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 mining automation is to is to increase safety, remove the people and and essentially automate as much as as possible. Um, yeah. But if it's semiconductors in manufacturing or automotive who are at the top end uh, and, yeah. and high end ele- electronics even, um, 
the majority of manufacturers beneath that 5% tier uh, do, do automate, uh, but usually they require human labor, human uh, capability within the facility themselves. So it becomes about other things uh, rather, rather than automate away the repetitive tasks or the dangerous tasks. Mm-hmm. But um, perhaps there's there's equal opportunity in augmenting the person with digitalization capability to do to do better things. Yeah. So mining has adopted many of the uh, of the short interval control kind of thinking and 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 principles that came out of manufacturing. And one of the one of the tenets of that uh, approach is that you should be able to know at any given time. What the status is of any process uh, uh, and, and material and consumable and activity etc that's going on and so many companies are adopting iot aggressively is this also something that you see and, and maybe some of the trends and similarities that you see in, in manufacturing and mining yeah well look we're seeing a shift you know the the terminology of iot and, and what iot delivers is is has, has been around for decades as far as the the real-time nature of of data capture um, and the the assembly of disparate bits of information into a piece of software, as an example. Um, So, uh, you know, IoT is not new. Um, Industrial IoT is not new. Um, What is new is is that it's much more accessible now and it's much more easy to stitch these things together. So... You know, mining companies and manufacturing companies used to take semi-monolithic approaches to, to their digitalization strategy, and they felt that they had to put in a manufacturing execution system from a single vendor, and, and they right. had SAP at the top. And um, and now we're seeing definitely, you know, whether it's the use of the best of breed term or real uptake of edge-type thinking. Mm-hmm. And even those, those Yeah, that's right. Um so you know that lightweight IoT uh, capability is now um, very accessible, and and it it connects and it can do some really quite sophisticated things. So you know we're a lightweight IoT vendor in that we're disrupting probably the traditional industrial automation hardware and and software system providers because number one most small companies can't afford the time effort or don't have the resource to do these big type of transformation projects sure and uh, and number two they can they can achieve equal value as far as what you described mp with um you know with real-time complete insight into their into their whole operation with a buy it yourself configure it yourself approach to yeah. to iot so um, there's a, there's an interesting difference I would uh, say between merely digitizing assets and 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 you know being able to get information back from the asset whenever you want to, which is maybe a, a very low level, almost an operator kind of interest. You know, I need to see whether the flame is on or the uh, current is running or the belt is moving or you know things like that, versus um, digitally enabling processes, which now requires high level process to process interoperation, and then the transformation of the whole organization to become digitally driven, uh, digitally interconnected and interoperable, so that if demand changes, the supply almost morphs into whatever the demand demands automatically, and and my buying process uh, adjusts automatically. 
and my, um, you know, my on-site logistics uh, adjusts automatically and so on. Is this something that you see happening uh, even in, in smaller manufacturing areas or or is it very much still, you know, a clerk somewhere in the office that, that runs through the Rolodex and calls the supplier and says, hey, don't give me more of this and more of that? Look, I think the manufacturing industry is far more exposed to demand um, variability. Yeah. Let's face it, even though commodity prices fluctuate, but a, a gold or a base metal company knows that they're operating within these types of thresholds and they're just making a primary commodity. There's yeah. very few completely vertically integrated resource entities now that go all the way through to finished product, as we know. So yeah. a manufacturer is way more interested and far more exposed to upstream and downstream variation in their supply chain. Sure. So there is a, a, a real desire to not only be more responsive, but open themselves up to supply chain transparency. So, sure. you know, the, sure. the uh, you know, and a tangible version of that would be, you know, the where is my order question. Mm. If you procure something from a manufacturing company and you want to know in real time, and you should be able to know today in real time yeah. where my production order is, a bit like a steel mill in China saying, where's where's this 100,000 tons of this speck of ore that I'm, I'm relying on? Um, but in manufacturing, yeah. this is an hourly or daily occurrence. So we do see the, the opportunity and the move to transparent supply chains. COVID and I guess reshoring trends and sovereign risk is is driving this perhaps even more now. Um, sure. And they're becoming so, global issues, so the variability goes up instead of down. Yeah, and 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 I, I think the the logistics challenges and and access to to logistics um, capability is also probably the, the critical driver at the moment for that. The transparency and visibility of um, what is the status of my supply or my demand, yeah. and and when am I going to receive it, and how can I service my customers better? So we do see small manufacturers really focusing on this, um, and they see digitalization as as a key enabler to that they can't they don't want to obviously the roller decks and the phone call yeah. is still is still ubiquitous it's it's yeah. it's probably ubiquitous in in commodities trading desks as well <laughs> it probably is so so if they really do think that they can address business sensitivity through this what's stopping I, I think that, from, from 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 adopting this i mean there are standard obstacles i mean it's not only about i can't afford it right uh, that's not the only reason why people aren't a adopting or b having success in the uh, uh, implementation of these projects. Yeah, look, what's stopping them is the similar grab bag of either excuses or or um or lack of appetite to transform their businesses. Right. But the global competitive landscape will continue and is forcing all of us to to accelerate that that journey towards um an innovative view usually you know the barriers to this type of capability are always normally about people people and change and readiness and and starting with a strategy around a digitalization journey yeah. and then having having the appetite uh and the desire to execute effectively and then resourcing it at a person level so you know um the technology doesn't go in by itself of course as we all know uh it it needs it needs a, a good engine and a good commitment to to get the outcome one of my impressions is that, especially in smaller you know, industrial companies or, or factories, these things are very often family businesses, uh, you know. Mm. And so the people who work there are the people who work there because they're part of the family, not necessarily because they have a digital background and they and they understand all of the latest and greatest ways. It might not even be that they 
actively against new ways of doing, but it is just that, you know, as you say, they don't always have access to skills. And that's where I think companies like you can come in and make a big, big difference because you can contribute not only, you know, it's not just that you buy a bag of sensors, but actually contribute towards how one could set up your processes and your thinking and the use of your people and and all of that differently, right? Not Mm. just tech. No, it's not just tech. I mean, that family-run business um, where everyone gets up in the morning, checks their digital device and phone and maps out their day in their mind and then looks at their phone 55 times more and then when they walk on the factory floor, they have to put it in their locker and then go and fill out a paper sheet to record production, right? It's a a real dichotomy of the the daily experience. So, yeah, it's... We're all digital natives now, even even the more mature of us and, and um, people in the twilight of their lives are, are great yeah, digital yeah. adopters. So it, it's interesting that, that our lives revolve around uh, technologies and, and digital capability, yet sometimes that doesn't translate to, a, to an, a daily operational context. Absolutely. So where have you seen this work? I mean, have you seen companies that are really successful at adopting technology and, and, and that have transformed the way that they... Uh, that they do business, that they service their customers, et cetera, well? Absolutely. We're seeing, you know, everyone from a stainless steel kitchen sink manufacturer to a a light switch plastics injection molding company to a wine or beverage or or, um, or food manufacturer um, really significantly change their business and increase their efficiency through through these types of you know, technology initiatives. Um, So, uh, you know, we work with a a big percentage of Australia's wine industry on what we term as a fairly simple thing, but paperless operations. So, you know, just the the very concept of removing the paper and and increasing the fidelity and the timeliness and of, of information that's captured by people and operators on a daily basis is it's transformative. And it, it sounds a bit trite because you think surely they're already all doing that, you know, not just glass on paper, but going beyond paper on glass to the importance of changing the business process. And yeah. as part of that process, capturing the tribal knowledge that usually exists with, with people. That's and a how, really interesting one, the tribal knowledge. How, yeah. You know, we're working really hard in what we call human-centric technology where, you know, uh, flexible tools that capture the way that people work and embed it in a a, a workflow type cause and effect relationship, because that's how people think day to day when they go and do their job. Uh, I'm doing this. And if this happens, I know I have to go and do this. But if this happens, I have to go and do this. And it's the way people work is complicated, but you can define it. So to your point around you know, the SAP guy saying that a, a mind should be able to operate like a factory, they're right. Um, yeah, they are. It is, it is a very modelable and clearly definable problem that is repeatable. Yeah. And aside from the all-body variability, they're doing the same thing day in, day out. So I think when, when you put your manufacturing hat on and say, well, it's a highly repetitive uh, and it's a, a sausage tube type factory scenario yeah. where we squeeze out, squeeze ore out the end, we should be able to run this like a a lights out manufacturing car plant. You, you, you know that uh, in, in a factory, you bring your material and your and your workers to the factory, the factory remains in the same place. But in the yeah. mine, the factory continuously moves around and the impact of the space I mentioned to the cost and the energy and the 
time it takes to, to, to start doing work and shift changes, all of that is, is immense. And so, you know, uh, you often hear miners say, well, you know what, my mine's not a cheese factory. And I think they're right. <laughs> but, uh, but as you say, there's a lot that can be learned and that can be adopted. And it is, in fact, a distinct modelable environment. And once you've modeled yes. it, then you can start to uh, to automate the processes and, and describe the processes. Of course, there's a lot of background knowledge as well in mining that needs to be added um, to the uh, to the digital pot now. Uh, but rules yeah. engines and, 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 and uh, process automation and remote uh, process automation where the one set of systems can call the other set of systems can influence actions in the other set of systems automatically without human intervention offers a lot of promise there as well it, it does so you know th there's a lot of robotic process automation uptake and it's you know come out of repetitive processes and yeah. administrative tasks but that same concept applies right down at the at the coal face so to speak in the operations sure. uh, level so yeah technologies that are doing well are the ones that are, are certainly capturing the human centric aspects and and business rules and constraints and objectives are able to be dynamic and flexible and 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 still be integrated or loosely coupled but but integrated with with all of the relevant systems so you know we the the concepts of when you break it all down are, are very much the same in a mine and a manufacturing plant really so so what does the future look like uh, we've witnessed in all of our lifetimes well i would say probably anyone that's older than 30 has seen the world come to analog phones merely being replaced by digital phones with which you can roam, to cellular phones, to now a, a world where really the phone becomes a little bit less important and, and the service behind it, the dial tone is just assumed. There's a new world in front of us where the way that energy is supplied will look completely different and how we buy things will look completely different and so on. What do you think about this? What, what are maybe some of the big, big ticket things that will change and that will impact the, the way that people think about what kinds of technology they can successfully adopt? Oh, that's a big question. There's a few aspects to, to answering that, that question. And it, in, the, in the manufacturing or the industrial domain, let's call it, um, the commoditization of, of the physical aspects of digitalization yeah. it, is is occurring at a rapid pace to the point where you know the hardware itself is 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 free it's either free today or it will be free uh, certainly in the future and the servitization of 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 what value you're delivering becomes what is paid for sure. so you know the, the saas model and the subscription economy was not the beginning but probably the real the really big move in terms of a technology and technology adoption and te how technology companies offer value to their customers so and it means you know, that much <laughs> many more people or companies can afford to obtain that technology because it does not require a massive capital layout initially and we all used to sort of talk about you know this is opex versus capex and and that's all well and good but what we're seeing is it's the commercial aspects m make it more frictionless but it's more the risk mitigation of the dial it on and off and we're, we're going to get much more used to just subscribing in shorter shorter term cycles to, to capabilities and then and then turning it off um and the technology companies that might have some protection around this are the ones that become a bit more sticky and a bit more embedded where you you know it's not like you're, you're signing up to one of 25 fitness apps that you have choices of that you know when you're connected 
to a, a physical and tangible either piece of equipment or an individual yeah. or a bus business process, it's a little harder to, to turn these things on and off once they get taken up in production or become successful. But at the end of the day, it's about the value delivery. Of course, it requires architectural thinking and enterprise architectural thinking uh, as well. If you want to start getting higher level value than, than, Absolutely. than just knowing second by second what's going on. Yeah, and systems um, thinking because it's a system of systems approach. Um, yeah. The the integration nightmare has is is fading away rapidly with standards adoption, whether it's you know industrial um, information protocol standards adoption or standardized ways of integrating technology through the use of, of modern APIs and yeah. all of those things are, are making that problem less of a problem. Um, but the the energy aspect's an interesting one as, as data intensivity increases and, and, you know, these systems become smarter, the use of free energy makes that whole dynamic really fascinating. I, I remember distinctly one of the first meetings that I had on a mine as a consultant to the uh, company was a big general manager's meeting. And this guy was standing in front and I remember nothing except this. He said, if you think last month's electricity bill is acceptable, then try me next month and I'm going to put my big number nine where you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it grabbed me right there that, you know, it's not only about how, uh, how much of a product we can uh, manufacture or in that case, of course, uh, you know, blast and move. But it is really about thinking differently about how do we do it in an optimal way. And this is where I see such a lot of opportunity for connecting, I like the, you know, you use the term system of systems, connecting the various systems in a way that the spillage that happens in handover and the reduction in clarity that happens at, at those handover points is removed. James, we, mm. uh, we, we're out of time, but I'd like to give our listeners a, a bit of a personal uh, a glimpse at your, at your psyche as well. So we always ask our guests what they're reading or what's on their bedside table. And so now it's your turn. What are you reading? Funnily enough, I was um, just given a, a book uh, recently. It's, yeah. uh, it's a book called The Speed of Trust and right. the importance of trust both in terms of, of leadership uh, relationships with, with your colleagues yeah. and the speed of trust in, in terms of um, or the importance of trust in terms of commercial relationships between commercial partners. So yeah. uh, at the moment, I'm really focused on, on the trust uh, equation in, in relationships and how important that is. It's interesting that uh, I think any anyone who has, like you have, uh, recently gone through a merger or acquisition or, or some such transaction, really know how establishing trust through a lawyer is just an, an incredibly intensive, time-wasting, money-grabbing process. And so the speed of trust is really, really, really important for business to work well. Yeah, all relationships, whether they be commercial or legal or deal related are founded upon trust. And this wasn't a planned segue, by the way, but funnily enough, the company name Tillit is a Nordic word for trust, faith and confidence. And we're extremely passionate about improving trust and building faith and confidence in you know, manufacturing companies' capabilities to to run their operations. So, trust is not only important for uh, for us as a business and us as people, but 
really for the whole world to run better. That's fantastic. So it means that your name and your 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 brand and your brand promise is kind of uh, rolled into one. That's a, that's an awesome. Yeah, name. yeah. It's it was it's quite a good sort of coincidence that I just felt to pick up on at the time. So, yeah. James, I trust that our listeners will have enjoyed this as much as I have. Thanks a lot for your time. And all the best with uh, with Tillit. And uh, we hope that you're going to be able to add value to many more uh, manufacturing and industrial companies this year to come. Thanks a lot for being on the Mind More podcast. Thanks, MP. It's been a pleasure. And watch this space. Perhaps Tillit will be a, you know, a digital mining platform of the future, not just a, a digital manufacturing operations technology platform. So thanks. Thanks, James. 